Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Landon Donovan. We've had some great guests lately, including Ted Lasso's Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt, Kate Abdo, and Jesse Marsh, along with many others. So check those interviews out. It would be huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Now, here's my interview with Landon Donovan. Our guest now is the first two-time guest on Football with Grant Wall, which I'm sure he'll rank at the very top of his career achievements list. Landon Donovan is the manager, executive vice president of soccer operations, and part owner of San Diego Loyal in the USL Championship. Landon, thanks for coming back on the show. When I started my career, I think this was the uh, the achievement I most wanted as a two time <laughs> two time member of your show. There you go. We'll we'll put that on our advertisements. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lots to talk about here, um, but I want to dive right in. You recently finished your first season as a manager, and you were fighting for a playoff spot, and you were leading a big game against Phoenix, and one of your players, Colin Martin, who's gay, was targeted with a homophobic slur by a Phoenix player. You pulled your team off the field at halftime and ended up forfeiting the game and missing the playoffs. What stands out the most to you now, a few weeks later, about what you decided to do and the reaction to it? Um, well, probably the reaction to it stands out. Um, obviously, we live in a world now where you get instant feedback when things happen. And um, to be clear, nobody was doing anything for feedback, but it's interesting to see how people react. And I think. We forget, I often forget because I've been in this game so intensely for so long that we are having a real impact on people's lives, whether we whether we see it or not. I mean, look what happened with Maradona this week and um, the outpouring of respect for that man and what he meant to people's lives that he he could have never known, right? Like how he how he brought people into the game and made them love soccer. <clears throat> he would have never known that. So we are having that impact and the number of people who reached out to all of us afterwards um, appreciative that we were standing up for something that they had been dealing with their entire life or their daughter had been dealing with their entire life or their father or, or son or mother had been dealing with their entire life and how important it was to take a stand was really powerful. Um, and also to be clear, nobody wanted that situation. That wasn't enjoyable. We were beating, uh, I think, the best team in the league um, very handedly at home, and we had a chance to go to the playoffs. And so that was not a, an outcome that anybody wanted, but credit to our players for wanting to stick up for their teammate and stick up for what's right. And it was, a, I think, a powerful moment as difficult as it was. Whether it's in Europe or the US or wherever, why do you think teams and their leaders are still so hesitant to take their teams off the field when racism or homophobia or anything like that takes place? I can't speak for other teams. I just know that the, the context for us was the previous week we had uh, a, a racial slur hurled at one of our black players, Elijah Martin. And 
we all regretted not doing something about it in the moment. It doesn't necessarily mean walking off the field, Grant. It could be um, <clears throat> doing something powerful in the match. Um, it, it, it could be a lot of things, but we felt bad for not doing something about it in the moment. And then when it got you know, put in front of us a week later, I think we had no choice. We, we had to, we had to stick up for what's right. And sometimes the hardest thing and the right thing end up being the same. Right. And, and I think we felt that it was, it was the right thing to do, even though it was difficult in the end of the day, a soccer match um, matters. It's important. It's what we do for a living. We all love to compete, but I think the, the way we were able to impact people because of our ability to stand up for what we believe is right and to protect others who don't have that platform was much more powerful. You and I have talked in the past about you trying to find your place in soccer post-playing career. Yeah. How did you feel about your first season managing? Mm -hmm. What were the positives and negatives? Do you see yourself continuing? Uh, so. Uh, with the necessary caveats uh, for COVID and what 2020 was, um, I absolutely, absolutely loved it. And I finally found my, my next calling. Um, I've been searching really since 2014, uh, my last full season with the Galaxy, to find what I'm passionate about. And this is what I'm passionate about. Um, the, the ability for us to get the on-the-field product uh, right for the last five or six games. And really, uh, I'm sure every coach believes this, but I think we were the best team in the league at that point. And uh, had we had the opportunity to go into the playoffs, it would have been, um, it would have been pretty tough to beat us. That part was really enjoyable, but more than that, the ability to have a positive impact on these young men's lives every day was really enjoyable for me. So I went from a very, very selfish existence while I was playing where it's almost always about me and performing and getting my body right and to now with three children and then 25 children uh, slash grown men at training every day, being selfless and trying to help them achieve what they want to achieve. So that is, that is really powerful for me now. And it's where I get my most joy. So what are your thoughts these days on the team that your playing career is most associated with, the LA Galaxy? There's obviously been a fair amount of turmoil there. Uh, it's been difficult to watch, to be honest. And I'm trying to put my finger on what it is. Um, it, it's a challenge because Bruce was so good, right? And the, the team we had and the group of guys there was so good and so committed to not just, not just like winning and being successful, but committed to LA and to, committed to the galaxy. So it's hard to replicate that, right? I get it. I mean, look at Manchester United after Sir Alex left. It's, it's a hard process to figure out then who's going to be next and who's the next person to take them to that place. But <clears throat> I think the, the hardest part is that it doesn't seem like there's a level of real hurt or disappointment when things aren't going well. And, and I mean, from the player's side. So um, some of that is, I think, just choosing the right players who, who actually will feel that and will actually care. And then the other part is letting the players know the importance of what it means to play for the LA Galaxy, the history, um, the championships, uh, getting to know the fans on an intimate level. This isn't, you know, 
with all due respect to Toronto or even Seattle or Portland, those are very successful, great MLS clubs, but the galaxy have been around for 25 years. They're one of the originals, right? And so there's so much history already compared to other teams in the, in the league. And you have to understand that and appreciate that. And it's a big responsibility. It's a huge responsibility for the players, the coaches, everybody. And you have to understand that. And so I think getting that um, mentality back into the players, into the coaching staff is really crucial. Who do you see, who would you like to see as the next LA Galaxy coach? And we're talking on Wednesday coming out Thursday. It's still vacant for now. Who would you like to see in that spot? Me. Just kidding. I was hoping um, you would say that. I was going to say somebody on this screen, but then people might have thought it was you. Um, <laughs> no, listen, I, I think the um, the important thing is what I just said. It's it's crucial to have somebody who, not necessarily who's been at the club, but who can understand what that means. So obviously, a lot of people just saw that Greg Vanny got like, uh, Greg Vanny stepped down in Toronto. In my opinion, that is the type of person who would understand it, get it. He was part of the Galaxy for a long time. He knows what it means to be a part of the LA Galaxy. So that to me is an obvious, um, you know, someone like Greg Berhalter who spent time there, who played there, who understands what it means. That, that to me is the type of person who will really get it on a deeper level than just, hey, we need to go, you know, beat LAFC. Um, it's, it's more than that. And it's, it's more important than that. You don't have to win every year. You don't have to win every game, but you have to be committed to what it means to play for the galaxy. And I think that's the most important part. How long would it take before you would say that you as a, as a coach, as a manager would be ready for that? Oh, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready now. Um, but I also realize that other people have put in a lot more time and I'm, I'm respectful of, of the, the, um, need to put in time. Right. So I went through probably six years of coaching this year based on what happened with COVID <laughs> and everything that happened with our team on and off the field. So I, I got a lot of experience. Um, but you know, someone like Greg Vanny has been through a lot of the battles, right? He is, he is seen from every angle and knows how to respond accordingly. Um, what we both have is a deep love for the club. And so nobody, uh, is going to work harder than someone like Greg or myself who really genuinely care about the club because it means something to us. It's a responsibility and it's, it matters to us. So I wouldn't let that club fail. Greg would not let that club fail. It just, it wouldn't happen. So we would do whatever it took to, to get the galaxy back on good footing. Let's take a short break from our Landon Donovan interview. This episode is brought to you by a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatis with a Z. And you can watch all the action in Spain's La Liga and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatis app. You can also watch the top leagues from France, Brazil, and Argentina. Plus, Fanatis has the Copa Libertadores, which is one of my favorite tournaments in the world. Fanatis features channels you know, like BN Sports in English and Spanish, Goal TV, and many more. And it only costs $7.99 a month. 
If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description or going to fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. One more time, that's fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. Now back to Landon Donovan. In league-wide terms, have you been watching the MLS playoffs? And if so, what has stood out to you so far? I mean, what what hasn't stood out? (laughs) It's been crazy. Uh, From the first week, uh, penalty madness um, (laughs) to just, I I think the biggest takeaway for me is um, people, clubs are spending lots of money now on great players. great training facilities at the end of the day uh the coaches left in the uh in in the playoffs are uh american right and uh, aside from adrian heath who is you know pseudo american he's been here so long so any way you slice it um you have to know the league understand the league understand the nuances understand the mentality and the culture of not just American players because now there's a, a quite a big influx of foreign players but understand what this league is and and how it works and how to be successful. And there's no better example than Bruce, right? In New England. And nobody's probably even really talking about them still, but uh, in, a, in a week you might see them and see Bruce in another final, right? And it's, it's really impressive to see. So maybe not uh, getting all the headlines or the, you know, the sexiest team, but they just keep winning. Our old friend Alexi Lawless said this on the Fox broadcast, uh, Tuesday night. And I I agree with him. He said that Bruce Arena will not say this publicly, probably, but because of what happened with World Cup qualifying, as old as Bruce is, as much as he's done, he's probably really motivated to be doing what his team is doing right now. Do you do you agree with that? Do you think there's a connection? Uh, Having known Bruce a long time, I don't think he views the world that way in a, uh, you know, when he came to the galaxy after um, a tough time at Red Bull, I knew he was eager to get it right, but I don't feel like he was crazy motivated to prove everyone wrong or to, but I think personally he knows how to succeed. Right. And I think it with the Red Bull uh, job, he, he didn't do it. He didn't do what he was good at doing. So it was almost like a challenge to himself. Like, can he do it again or not? And probably similar after 2018, but I don't think anybody can doubt or question his ability to lead a group of men and an organization. It is, it's proven over time to be unmatched in this country. And he does it over and over and over again. You mentioned this last week. We lost one of the legends of the sport, Diego Maradona. What do you think of when you think of Maradona? Did you ever have any interactions with the guy? I never did uh, get the opportunity to interact with him. My fondest memories, honestly, Grant, are growing up. I didn't have cable TV. We had three TV channels on TV that I could. I got to watch um, like a half hour a day. That was what I was allotted by my mom. Uh, But what I did get at Christmas was VCR tapes of all the World Cup, previous World Cup goals, highlight goals. And 
I would watch obviously um, 86 and his magic, right? And uh, I didn't know a ton about the world of soccer at that time, but I just knew that guy jumped off the screen like nobody else ever did. And then having the opportunity to then follow up and, and watch more of him as I got older through video and on YouTube, et cetera. Uh, it's hard to imagine someone having as big an impact as him. A lot of people can debate whether Messi was better or Cristiano or Pele, but just from the sheer impact, when you see some of the images around the world right now of how people impacted, I saw, you know, at Napoli and how they responded and what he meant to that club and that community. It's incredible. Um, and it's not like he was this, you know, Ronaldinho vibrant out with the fans every day hanging. It's just what he did on the field mesmerized you. And it was like, it was like poetry in motion. It was so fun to watch. And, and it had a huge, huge impact. I, I kind of, I kind of equate it. It's a little bit analogous to the way people reacted to Michael Jackson, mm -hmm. right? Like when he passed away and just that fondness, um, it's crazy to see. And it, and it makes you realize how special he was. We could go down an entire thing now with Michael Jackson passing away right before the 09 Confederations <laughs> Cup final and you guys being asked yeah. about your thoughts on Michael Jackson. I was like at that press conference, one of the crazier moments ever. <laughs> um, it also hit me this morning. We're recording this interview on Wednesday. It is 10 years to the day since you and I were in Zurich and Qatar got the World Cup 22 hosting rights oh, ahead wow. of the U.S., Oh, wow. I, I remember you spoke very well on behalf of the U.S. bid to FIFA voters, along with Bill Clinton and the actor Morgan Freeman, of all people. Um, you and I even had lunch the day before in Zurich. Maybe it's easier to ask this question now that we know the U.S. is co-hosting in 26. <laughs> but what do you remember of that wild day in Zurich 10 years ago? Sure. Well, I was 28, so I, and I didn't really understand what was going on, right? I didn't understand the... Uh just say potential corruption going on and what was happening. So I was just a little bit naive and thinking like, well, obviously they're going to chew. We have, a, we have the best bid. This is so obvious. Um, being in the room was shocking when it announced because there was, I remember looking over at the Qatari like delegation and I was thinking for having just been awarded your first world cup in the first, I believe the first world cup ever in the middle East, right? Yeah, I would have expected more elation and jubilation and just like crying and pure joy. And it was almost this like, like, uh, you know, LeBron has the best season in his in NBA history and he gets named the MVP and everyone's like, okay, we knew that was going to happen. Right. And it was almost like this expectation that everybody already knew. And it was such a bizarre, it was such a bizarre moment. Cause I know if we had won, we would have gone crazy. Right. And, and it was just this very understated sort of, it was very interesting. It won't be that long until we do have a world cup again in the U S in 2026. What do you see that being like? What do you think it could do uh, for the sport of soccer in this country? I mean, I, I lived 94, right. I went to my first ever soccer match ever Argentina, Romania at the Rose bowl. And I know what it did for me. It turned me on to the soccer world in a way I'd never, ever been aware of before. So I can only imagine 
young women, young men tuning in and watching that and being inspired and what that means, uh, not only immediately, but for generations to come, right? We talk about this all the time when you see Abby Wambach score at the death or you see Carly Lloyd score four goals in a final. People are inspired by that in the moment, but if you hadn't been a soccer fan before and you just happened to tune in and watch that, you watch it, you see it, you're inspired by it, but then generations are impacted by that. So now your kids play soccer and their kids play soccer and watch soccer, et cetera. So we have this incredible ability to showcase, well, first of all, the country and our stadiums and the sport, and then uh, eventually our national team too which uh, will be a huge responsibility, but also um, a really, really exciting time for our country. So I can't wait. By the way, it's okay to mention your 2010 goal against Algeria in the same breath as, uh, as Wombach's goal, but... Uh, That's your job, not mine. <laughs> Just to wrap up here, how far do you think the U.S. could go in World Cup 26? There's a lot of excitement right now about these young U.S. players playing at these elite clubs in Champions League. Sure. And there's obviously a World Cup between now and 26, but like, what could they possibly do in 26 in front of home fans? Well, if you watch, if you just look at players and player profiles, right? Christian is, you know, close to as talented as any player on that Chelsea team, right? Weston is, Weston fits in just fine at a very, very good Juventus team. Uh, Tyler Adams fits in very well at a team that's perennially, perennially in Champions League. And, you know, we'll see where he goes next if he, if he goes anywhere else. But if you just look at profiles, Serginio Dust, obviously, um, amongst others, we have the profiles and the players that we know can do it at that level against the best players in the world. There's no ambiguity around that. It's not like, oh, six guys play in Mexico and we're not, and they don't really play much and eight guys play in MLS. And, you know, sometimes they start and sometimes, I mean, we have guys starting at all the big MLS clubs, all the big European clubs. So we have the, uh, we have the talent and the profiles. Now the question is, what does that look like as it comes together? Right. What is the identity of that group? Because the identity in the past was very clear. It was we're not as talented, uh, but there's a grit and combativeness about us that keeps us competitive. So what is that? What is it going to look like for this group of young men? And that's what I'm looking to. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing in the next few years. And then as they get into their mid twenties, late twenties, what does that exactly look like? So that's the part that will tell me more. And going through challenging qualifying campaigns is perfect for what this group needs. It's one thing for Serginho to play, you know, on amazing fields in Spain and playing with great players all the time. Now you go and you play in Cuba, right? Where you know. It's, it's not so fun anymore. Those, cha those, those environments and those challenges will be really good for these guys because it really hardens you, and they need some of that too. Landon Donovan is the manager, executive vice president of soccer operations, and part owner of San Diego Loyal in the USL Championship. Landon, thanks for coming back on the show. Grant, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. What an honor. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. 
I'd like to thank Landon Donovan as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.